Thank you, choir, and thank you, Ed. Um, we have some exciting news. The choir and Ed, uh, they, they worked so hard with Pavel, the whole, the whole team, to put together music. But, but Ed won an award recently. Um, Ed, Ed won a, it's going to come up in a second, Ed won a award for a score for a movie that he did recently. And so we don't get to celebrate these moments. But, but Ed, Ed wrote a score for a movie and uh, Ed won an award uh, last weekend. So can we give Ed a, a hand? <laughs> it's a good thing, Ed. It, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And we can celebrate it with you. Um, this morning, I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, and, and those of you who ever have to talk in front of other people whenever you fight a cold, uh, there's this tea at Sprouts called Throat Coat, and it works one the choir. Yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah. We, it, it, works, it works wonders, but if I don't shake your hand later and give you a fist bump or an elbow instead, that is why. It's not because I'm, I'm trying to avoid you, but you don't want the cold that my lovely children shared with me. Um, this morning, we are continuing our, our journey through uh, the, the series on stewardship where we've explored what it looks like to be a church with deep roots and a wide reach. We've talked about being intentional with our time and with our talent, and this morning we're exploring what it looks like to be purposeful with our treasure. So as we dive into Scripture together, will you please join me in prayer? Holy God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together to celebrate and worship uh, with one another. As we open up to your word, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So the first passage that Diane read just a a few moments ago out of Matthew, um, we we see this picture of of Jesus kind of standing on the side of a mountain. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, kind of talking to the masses. And right after talking about prayer and the discipline of fasting, and right before he talks to about not worrying, Jesus sneaks in th- th- this message about priorities and, and, and wealth and, and treasure and how we should approach our, our material possessions, our stuff. In the second passage we're about to read, it, it's a bit of a different scene. He's speaking more directly to the disciples, and he's talking in, in parables. And so we did a parable series not too long ago. This parable should sound somewhat familiar, though it will look different this morning because we're reading from a different translation. Um, we'll be in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, reading uh, through Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. So it will look very different if you're following along in the pew. What you read up front will see, be very different. Starting at verse 35. Keep your shirts on. One of the reasons I like this translation. Keep your shirts on. Keep the lights on. Be like house servants waiting for their master to come back from his honeymoon, awake and ready to open the door when he arrives and knocks. Lucky the servants whom the master finds on watch. He'll put on an apron, sit them at the table, and serve them a meal, sharing his wedding feast with them. It doesn't matter what time of the night he arrives, they're awake and so blessed. You know that if the house owner had known what night the burglar was coming, he would have stayed out late and left the place unlocked. So don't you be solvently and careless. Just when you don't expect him, the Son of Man will show up. And Peter said, Master, are you telling this story for us or is it for everybody? The Master said, Let me ask you, who is the dependable manager, full of common sense, that the Master puts in charge of his staff to feed them well and on time? 
He is a blessed man if when the master shows up, he's doing his job. But if he says to himself, the master is certainly taking his time, begins maltreating the servants and maids, throwing parties for his friends and gets drunk, the master will walk in when he least expects it. Give him the thrashing of his life and put him back in the kitchen peeling potatoes. The servant who knows what his master wants and ignores it or instantly does whatever he pleases will be thoroughly thrashed. But if he does a poor job through ignorance, he'll get off with a slap on the hand. Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, greater responsibilities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. About 20 years ago, I went to visit a friend in inner city Oakland. Uh, This friend decided to take a gap year between graduating from high school and beginning college. He committed to an organization that that took young people ranging in age from 18 to usually 24, 25, who were typically from well-to-do suburban areas and put them in a place where they would be a little less comfortable in the inner city. It was an urban plunge of sorts where participants would be pushed out of their comfort zones, and they'd spend the year serving in places like hospitals and in schools, at, at rec centers, doing, doing things where their whole year was committed just to loving their neighbors, neighbors that were different from themselves, but their job was just to love their, their neighbors. He was connected with a church that looked way different than the church the two of us grew up in together. One Sunday when I was visiting, we walked into church, the first time I walked into this church, and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced up to that point in my life. The church met in a warehouse, was absolutely packed, and it was loud. It was very loud. A massive choir sang up front, and everyone from the youngest to the oldest were clapping and dancing and running up and down the aisles. It was loud. Some were singing, some were shouting, but everyone was involved. Everyone was engaged. The only time it really got quiet was when the pastor preached. And and everyone stayed engaged for 45 to 50 minutes. I was in shock. I was looking around thinking, man, 45... How come I'm the only one who's losing my attention here? Everybody was engaged for 45 to 50 minutes. The only time that they'd respond is when you'd ask a question and they'd shout, Amen, Pastor! When the sermon finished, they took an offering and the choir let out in a few more songs. After about 10 minutes of singing, an elder stood up in front of the church and said, Church, here's how much we got in this morning's offering. Everyone cheered, Yeah! He motioned to them to quiet down. Could you imagine after the doxology? Yeah! We should try it today. What do you think? He motioned to them to quiet down. Then he said, well, we're not quite where we need to be yet. We, we, we still need, and then he mentioned the amount. And then the popcorn buckets they used to collect the offering the first time were passed around a second time. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I, was, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was incredibly uncomfortable for me, the visitor in the church. But for this community, it was totally normal. It was how they talked about money as a congregation. They said, look, this is how much we need every Sunday. And they were open and they were honest. So they passed the buckets again. 
They went back to singing and dancing. And when the second offering came in, they announced that they had met their mark together. Now, during our our first Sunday in this series where we've been journeying through stewardship, I mentioned that usually when we talk about stewardship in the church, we we think about what? Money. And we often cringe when it comes up. And I've tried to remind us through this series that stewardship is about so much more than money. But the reality is it does include money. And we do need to talk about it. Every faith community needs to talk about our finances. So our elders and our staff are are in a season where we're looking at the financial picture for the rest of this year and really what it looks like for 2020 for us as well. And it's important that we are all a part of that conversation. We're talking through our finances, talking through our priorities. And in the same way that it's important for families to kind of gather around the table to have a family discussion about finances, that's kind of what we're doing. We're sitting around around the dinner table and saying, hey, we, we need to talk. We need, we need to talk about how we use our finances. When Luke records the parable that we just read about the manager and the servant, he connects stewardship to responsibility. Great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, great, greater responsibilities. And right before Jesus tells this parable, Luke writes that he's, he's talking about treasure in heaven similar to what he's preaching on in the Sermon on the Mount that we read earlier And I don't think it's by accident that Luke connects treasure in heaven with responsibility. How we view our possessions and our money says a lot about our responsibility as well as what we value. And here's what I mean by that. If someone were to give you $500 out of the blue, how would you use it? How would you use it? If someone were to give you $500, how would you use it? Would you save it? That says something about what you value. Would you buy clothes? That says something about what you value. Would you go buy someone a meal? Would you give it away? What would you do with it? If I'm honest, I'd I'd probably take my family to do something fun. It says something about what I value. I'm not saying that spending that money is bad. I'm just saying that the way we use our money tells us a lot about what our priorities are, about what we value. Jesus ends this parable summarizing responsibility. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Or as Eugene Peterson writes, great gifts, great great responsibility. He's not just talking about money, though he's using money as an illustration. He's talking about all kinds of our responsibility. And remember, he's asking, he's answering Peter's question. Master, Lord, is this parable for us or is it for everyone else? And Jesus says essentially, look, it's for you. It's for you. If you've been following me for a while, if you're my disciple, you need to be responsible with what I've given you. That includes our time, includes our talent, and our treasure. Now, there's a lot of reasons many of us cringe when we talk about money in in, in the church. Maybe we think of the prosperity gospel and we say, hey. Or or we've seen pastors prey on vulnerable people before and we have a a negative response because of that. Or, Or maybe we've been taking advantage of ourselves. And I get it. And if that's where you are, I'm I'm sorry. 
I've got a story myself where early in my ministry career before Haley and I were married where, where I was taken advantage of and, and it was crushing. But the reality is Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked about money more than he talked about Sabbath. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. Eleven out of his 39 parables deal with it and yet for some reason we still shy away from it in the church. And I think a part of that reason is, is the guilt and the fear that comes along with it. It's kind of become taboo. But it's something we should talk about. Whether we like it or not, we live in a culture in the United States that is largely driven, it's a consumer-driven society. It's why 8 out of 10 Americans carry a credit card debt. Again, let's talk about money. It's why companies like Ford spend more than $3 million dollars a year marketing to preschoolers who won't drive for another 15 years. My first two cars were Fords, so it must have worked. It's why our country has more malls than high school. And it's why the phrase church shopping has become the term that is used most often when we are searching for a faith community. We live in a consumer-driven society. We need to talk about it. Now, in the passage we read from Matthew, Jesus gives two ways we can be responsible with our resources. First, he says to make wise investments. Make wise investments. This gets back to the question I asked about the $500. How would you spend it? The places we invest our money tells us a lot about our our hearts. A tithe is really about putting our hearts in the right place. It's about setting our priorities and saying... This 10% represents all of what I have. So when I invest it in God's kingdom, I'm investing all of who I am, all of what I have there. Now, when we started the series, I, I, I mentioned my, my two great aunts. You remember the, the tried and true Methodists, they would debate with one another about what a tithe really looked like. One argued that 10% had to go straight to the church. The other one said, well... No, you can give to the church, but you should also give to to international missionaries. As long as you're giving, it's great. And they they bickered about it. So much so that when I remember talking about money in church growing up, that that was the story that I heard most often. Now, historically and biblically, both of them have ground to stand on. The first time tithing is mentioned in Scripture is, is Genesis 14. Abram wins a battle and thanks God by giving 10% of what he has to the king, to King Melchizedek. In the Mosaic Law, giving 10% of the first fruits of the harvest to the church was there to provide for the priests. But tithing isn't specifically mentioned in the New Testament. That 10% number, I should say. But we have talked through that, that Jesus is pretty direct about why we need to give of our resources. And two weeks ago, we talked about Paul taking a collection for, for fellow Christians. And that's where in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, The Lord loves a cheerful giver, the phrase that we often use when we're talking about money in church. Now, there was a study done in in 2013 that that looked at giving patterns in U.S. churches, and it found that on average, Christians who who are committed to congregations give 2.5% of their income. 2013 was the numbers, 2.5% of their income. Now, for some perspective, during the Great Great Depression, that number was 3.3%. 
33 to 50 percent of people who are members of churches don't give financially at all. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to heap blame here. I'm just trying to say this is a problem in the church in the U.S. And we're all a part of the church in the U.S. I don't bring up those numbers to make us feel guilty, but I, I do think we need to talk about the investment problem in the church today. I'm not going to stand here and ask each of us to, to raise our hands and say, well, this is how much I give or, or anything like that, but I am going to encourage us to go home this week and to take some inventory of how we use our money. Our checkbooks, our bank, our credit statements tell us a lot about those priorities. If you've never sat down and written out a budget, maybe this is an opportunity to spend some time and do just that. If you're not currently giving, I'm not suggesting that you just jump up to this, this 10% number, but what, what might it look like to move from 0% to a half a percent, to 1%, to 2%? My hope for us as a church is that every single one of us would participate in what God is doing through WPC. And that looks different for each one of us. So for Jesus, being responsible with our investments means establishing heavenly treasure right now. Treasure that can be enjoyed in the present and in the future. And treasure that isn't subject to all the problems and decay that come with with earthly investments. The second way that Jesus tells us to be responsible is that we can only really serve one master. He says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or both God and wealth. Now, when I was in high school, when I I first started wrestling with what it means to actually live out my faith, I I figured that I didn't really need to change much about my life. I thought I could just kind of add a belief system on top of everything else I was doing, that it didn't need to change my behavior at all. And push came to shove when I realized that my, <clears throat> my obsession, excuse me, with the sport that I played was consuming me. And that I was a, a completely different person on the football field than I was off the football field. And it led to this kind of crisis of identity, of, of who am I? How can I live as someone who claims to follow Jesus and be this person that I, I didn't quite want to be when I was playing a sport? It was during that time I learned that I, I, I couldn't have two masters. Jesus was either Lord of my life or he wasn't. There's no middle road. Now, I think that's a challenge that a lot of us face. We want to kind of compartmentalize our lives. So we'll surrender or sacrifice one part of our life, but hold on to another. And here Jesus is using the example of money to say, look, you can only have one master. What's it going to be? Now, there's a, a few different words for uh, money in, in the New Testament. And the one that Matthew uses here is a summary for the word kind of wealth and property. It means all of your material, uh, all your stuff. Uh, in the same way that money and wealth often means power today, it did then as well. And people then, just like today, would work as hard as they could to obtain as much as they could. And the risk is, instead of owning our money or owning our wealth, allowing the pursuit of money or the pursuit of wealth to own us. So if we want to be good stewards, we need to learn to be responsible with our resources. And we can assume responsibility by making wise investments, 
and recognizing that God alone is our master. So my encouragement for us today, this week, is to again, just like the last couple weeks, to take some inventory. Spend some time looking at your budget, how you spend your money, where you give, what, what you prioritize. If we want to be a church with deep roots and a, a wide reach, we all need to be responsible with our resources. And really, as I said during the first sermon of the series, it's all God's anyway. Let's pray. Loving God, you have given us so, so much. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to be responsible with all that we've been given. We pray these things in your name. Amen.